Well, let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 1. This morning we, we start a new series on the upper room, or especially the upper room discourse, from chapter 14 to chapter 17. Chapter 14 to chapter 17. And that's somewhat why I, we sang the song, How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds. We'll be spending a lot of time with Jesus, teaching his disciples in the upper room. In fact, we will be going with this series all the way to Palm Sunday and hopefully be looking at the crucifixion narrative on Good Friday from the entire Gospel of John or that section of chapter 18 and chapter 19. Well, brothers, with our Bibles open to John chapter 14, verse 1, let us read. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is God's word. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Oh, Father, as we come to your word, we ask that you would warm our affections, our thoughts, so that we might understand your word aright, that we might understand you, know you, love you. And so in loving you, we might learn more deeply how to love others truly. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So for many of us, this text is quite familiar. It's a comforting text. Often when there is a funeral, this is a text that is often read somewhere in the funeral worship order. And it is a text of comfort. In fact, what we see is the comforting way of Christ for troubled hearts. And that's exactly what was happening. In that room, in that upper room, the hearts of his men were troubled. Who knows what they had heard that week? Undoubtedly, there were whispers in the city whispers of opposition to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, throughout his three-and-a-half-year ministry, the Lord Jesus Christ was consistently opposed, and there were threats against his life throughout. It was a normal part of his ministry, but there was obviously something different about this night, this night in which he washed his disciples' feet like a servant would do, yet he was at the pride of place at the table for the Passover, yet he 
came down from the Passover and began to wash the feet of his disciples, of which they too should do, to be servants. And of course, the Passover celebration took on a completely new meaning, didn't it? The very supper that they had remembered since their earliest memory, maybe even asking their father at the table what had happened that night. It had all changed. Jesus was the bread, wasn't he? The matzah, broken for sinners. And Jesus was that cup of redemption poured out for sinners. That's what he was speaking of, his death. You could understand why the trouble would be. And in fact, they had heard Jesus speak of his death again and again and again throughout his ministry. There's trouble in the room. There's trouble on the streets of Jerusalem. And the Lord Jesus Christ is seeking to calm troubled hearts. Seeking to calm his men. Jesus says that simple sentence, do not let your hearts be troubled. Now, maybe that's not the best advice, people might say. And in fact, was not Jesus himself troubled that night? Had he not been troubled throughout his ministry? What do we learn? All the way back to Lazarus' funeral. Remember Lazarus' funeral? And he's coming to the funeral, and what, who does he see? It's not Martha that he begins to be troubled. It's when he sees Mary, along with the attendants. And this text reads like this. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and, and troubled. So Jesus says to his men, do not be troubled. Yet we see in the life and the ministry of Jesus that there was many times where he was troubled. Troubled by the reality of death. Or was it at this moment that he saw his own death? That it was coming. He was in Bethany, wasn't he? This was Bethany, not very far away from Jerusalem. Just on the other side of the Mount of Olives. Like a stone throw away. And then you see again in John chapter 12, verse 27, now my heart is troubled. This is Jesus publicly proclaiming this. And what shall I say? And he breaks out into prayer. He says, Father, save me from this hour. No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. The hour. What hour is Jesus speaking of? The hour of his suffering, scourging, betrayal, denial, crucifixion, death, and burial. And what do we see? That he was troubled. Why would Jesus be troubled? Why would he be troubled about the cross? Isn't it through the cross that victory comes? Isn't that the, the great joy of every single believer? Did he not also rejoice in this hour? But yet he's troubled. Could it be that he's troubled because he's going to take upon himself all the sin and the suffering and the sadness of humanity in this one moment at the cross? 
fact is his death will be because of sin. And isn't sin troubling? Maybe not as much as it ought to be in our life. We can very much easily justify our sin, can't we? We're pretty good at that. But why did he die? Because of sin. And in this one moment, this one moment in time, in the final hour, the Lord Jesus Christ would experience the very wrath of God for sin. Yes, his heart was troubled. And even at that table, didn't he say, well, here, John chapter 13, verse 21, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit. They were all around the table. They could have all seen Jesus since everybody, when you were at the Passover, your face was at the table. You were all leaning with your face. You had this. You ate with your right hand. You leaned on your left side. They would have seen that, wouldn't they have? John would have seen it. He was right there next to Jesus. Did Jesus' body tense up at that moment? Remember, he was leaning on him, the writer here of the gospel. He was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth. One of you is going to betray me. Where was the one who would betray him? At the Passover meal? Right next to him. It was Judas. Judas and John on both sides of the Lord Jesus Christ. In this upper room of trouble. And of course that would have set off alarm bells in the disciples as they were listening because not only had they probably heard the whispers on the streets of Jerusalem, but they were also hearing from their Lord and Savior, well, their rabbi, that someone was going to betray Jesus. One of you of the twelve is going to betray me. Could you imagine what went off in their minds? how they would have been looking around the room. You're looking, you're probably wanting to look around the, looking at the room. You know, here we have in our congregation, you can really watch each other, right? Because the way it's set up, you can sort of watch each other across the way. Imagine at a table where you're all face to face around the table. Your eyes scanning to and fro at the others. It's not me, it's not me, it's not me. The trouble at the table. And then Jesus said, Something at John chapter 13, verse 33, that would have again troubled the disciples. He said, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Well, they, hadn't Jesus said, come and follow me? And now he's saying, I'm going somewhere, and you can't come. You can't follow. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, wait, wait. That's not part of the plan, right? I mean... We have a plan. We'd like God to stick to it. We tend to do that, unfortunately. I have this plan. It's fantastic. And, and they, you said follow. We did. Here we are. We're at the table. This is awesome. We're in Jerusalem. You're going to conquer the Romans, and you're going to reign for a thousand years. This is great. Wait a minute. You're going somewhere? Oh, no, 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 no. Peter did not like that at all, did he? He did not like that at all. And in fact, if you skip down to verse 36, he talks about a new command, love each other. But in verse 36, he said, Simon Peter asked him. Simon Peter's going, and Simon Peter's on the other end. There's three tables like this. Simon Peter's across from Jesus. He said, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, 
where I'm going, you cannot follow now. Did you notice what Jesus said? You cannot follow now, which means later on you'll follow, but not now. But you will follow later. Seems pretty clear to us. Verse 38, then Jesus answered, oh, that actually Peter, verse 37, asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. After this moment, he no longer speaks. After this rebuke of the Lord Jesus Christ, the mouth of Peter is silent until you get to the garden. Here's the, here's the rough man. Here's the tough man. Here's the leader of us all, the leading disciple. I will give my life for you. And Jesus says, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. You're not going to even make it through the night, Peter. This night, you will deny me again and again and again. You can imagine how that would have troubled the disciples there. Undoubtedly, Peter can't even speak after that. Self-doubt. In fact, I think it's a rebuke of, against the self-confidence that Peter had or what, that you or I could have. But he's silenced by the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not just disciples that are troubled. Maybe it's you, really troubled. Something's happening in your life that you don't talk to anybody about. Your heart is troubled. What does Jesus say to you? Trust me. Trust me. Trust me because you're not. Because you're not. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Isn't that what he's saying to his men? Trust in God, yes, but trust also in me. And you see that, that sentence there, trust in God, trust also in me. What is Jesus again saying at the, ta at the table? Who's the man across from you? He's not just a man. He's God Almighty. And you see that in the very beginning of, G of John's gospel, right? He's the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. He's the one that created all things. In, in fact, in him, all things have their being. He's at the table. And he's saying not only to Peter, to Philip, to Thomas, to John, but he's saying to you, trust me. Trust me with your troubled heart. Jesus is not promising that troubles will go away. In this world, troubles will always be. Trials will always happen. Tribulations will come. But in, in all of them, trust me. Trust the anchor in the storm, Jesus Christ. And right after he says, trust me, he speaks of, well, the comfort of home, doesn't he? That's what that is. Those glorious passages that the Lord Jesus Christ teaches his men in the upper room. 
In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. There's always a picture that many of us have about the comfort of home. It's just something good about home. Now, some of us grew up in wretched homes. I, I, I understand that. But for many of us, we grew up in pretty good homes. Home is something that's comforting, a place you can come back to. And the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking of that kind of comfort, the comfort of home. Because he says very clearly, in my Father's house are many rooms. Actually, it's many dwellings is the language. There are many dwellings. And what's important for us, I think, the readers, to see the precious presence in the Father's dwelling. Where does Jesus want you to be? Where does he want his disciples to be? He wants them to be where he is. He speaks about the comfort of his father's home, these many dwellings, but in fact, he's going to come back and take them to be where he is in his father's home. And right away when you say, in your father's home, you already are arrested with the reality of relationship with God. Why is a home precious? Is it because of the studs and the sheetrock and the paint and the flooring or you have a fantastic basement or you just put a new roof on it? Is that why home is comforting? It's the people, not the place. It's always the people, not the place. And Jesus says, right, in your father's home, God as Father in a fatherless world. What a comfort. That's right, you will be with God, the infinite God who created all things, who's present in all places, yet in a special way you will be present with Him in that glorious place that is to come. And with me. Because I'm going to come back one day and take you to be where I am. And the Apostle Paul says to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Amen, amen. That's where I want to be. The Apostle Paul wasn't really interested in heaven. He was interested in who was there. The Lord Jesus Christ. Heaven is the place. God is the prize. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The gospel is not that you can go to heaven, but that, what is it? That God so loved you that he sent his only son for you to die upon a cross for you that he might make you him, well, not only give you eternal life, to make you his own. You see, the God of creation created us not only to have relationships on the earth, but did he not walk in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve in the garden? He did, didn't he? And that was a representation of heaven on earth. Did you know that the garden was a representation 
of God's dwelling on earth. God has always wanted to have a relationship with his people, an intimate relationship. And that's the comfort of home. There are people there that love you. That's why it's so wondrous to think about heaven because there's God the Father and God the Son there and they love me. I know that he's present with me now, but that's a wondrous hope. And also what's comforting about this text is the plenteous permanence of, of the Father's dwelling. There's many homes, isn't there? There's many rooms like an ancient king, like the kings of the Near East. They, of course, had many wives. With many wives comes many children. With many children comes many rooms. So their palaces would be loaded with all kinds of different mansions or rooms. These would be monstrosities. And Jesus is saying, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Because not only does God, the only begotten Son, belong there, but so do you, you sons of God, you daughters of God. This place is for you. And there's lots of room. You see the magnanimous heart of God in what Jesus is saying. It's not only for a few, there's lots of room. Many will be called and chosen and brought into the kingdom and you will dwell with permanence. It will never pass away. We will never fade. We will never decay. It will continue on for all eternity. And we will sing hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So how will Christ prepare a place for his friends? Remember, he says, I'm going away. What's he going away to do? Why can't Peter follow? Why can't he come after Christ? I'm willing to die for you. Why can't he come? Remember in the beginning of John's gospel, there was his cousin, John the Baptist, preaching, saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Right from the beginning of John's gospel, we hear the very way by which we can go to the Father, by which we can go up the staircase into heaven that Jacob experienced at Bethel. It's through the atoning sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. It's through his death. You hear the author of Hebrews chapter 9 verse 28 say, so Christ was crucified once to take away the sins of many people and he will appear a second time not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are awaiting for him. His going away is ushering in a new reality not only a forgiveness and reconciliation with God, but establishing a kingdom during this period of his reign in which he will, what will he do? I will come back and bring you to be where I am. I do believe Jesus, is in, maybe in two parts, is say, speaking of not only their death, but more importantly, of their resurrection from the dead of their resurrection from the dead. But that's all made possible because of the cross. The glory of the cross, the magnificence of the cross, the beauty of the cross, the very vision of the Christian is always near the cross. 
It's always fixed on Christ and Him crucified. Isn't that what Paul boasted in preaching? I will boast only in Christ. I will boast only in Him crucified. That's the comfort of my heart, Paul says, especially knowing how much of a wretched man he was, along with me, along with all. For all have sinned, haven't they, and fallen short of the glory, the glory of God. Now, I don't want to not say that the comfort of our heavenly home is in us. I do want to say that. Yes, we know it's actually a future reality, but isn't the deposit of your fellowship already here? Hasn't the Holy Spirit already broke in? Hasn't he already manifest himself in you? How did you believe? How did you come to faith? Uh, how is Christ precious to you? Was it because of your m amazing reasoning or intellect? Or was it because of the work of the Holy Spirit in which connected you with the fellowship of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit? Because what you find in here is a wonderful Trinitarian love you have been incorporated into. And if you look at uh, Luke, um, John chapter 14, verse 23, it says, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. Simply, if anyone believes in me and follows me and obeys my teaching, my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The fact of the matter already is that God the Holy Spirit is indwelling us and through him we have the Spirit of Christ and with him we have the fellowship with the Father. But the fullness is yet to come. And you can taste it all here as you look at Jesus. As you look at the one who says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Death is coming, isn't it? It's coming for all of us. This night, Jesus would be betrayed, and by three o'clock in the afternoon, he would be dead. It's coming for all of us. But here, the Lord Jesus Christ gives to his men, men almost to, to only one would be executed for the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He gives them the comfort of their eternal home when death comes. That's why this text is so precious at funerals, isn't it? Because death has come, and it's coming for you. It's coming for me. But how can I be certain of the way? How can I be certain of the way? And Jesus, again, wants to re-examine this. He wants to drill down because there's still ignorance among his boys, right? Amongst the, these, uh, the merry men of the Lord Jesus Christ, the disciples. You clearly see that there's confusion for Thomas. Well, most likely because he's heard something that's just completely blown his mind and he doesn't know how to think like Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration, but we're not certain about that. But what we see is Jesus says, for you know the way to the place where I'm going. And of course, Thomas, he liked to say a lot in the Gospel of John, he said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? He sort of said where he was going, wasn't he? In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and to take you to be where I am. And yet Thomas went, whoop, right over the top of him. 
And by the way, you can be in the church for all your life, and this goes right over the top of you. I heard the gospel for 20 years, and I did not understand it. Just because you're in a pew, just because you're going to catechism in Sunday school does not mean, does not mean you know Jesus. Doesn't mean that. Thomas did not get it. It completely, utterly does not understand it. He does not understand the gospel. He spent three and a half years with Jesus, and it goes completely over his head. And it seems very clear for, I think, us, the reader. Jesus is the way. Jesus himself is the way. He is the staircase to heaven. He's the way. But Thomas is confused. Are you confused? Have you missed it? I don't think you can miss it from here. In fact, Jesus, what Jesus is saying to Thomas, a Jew, what he's saying to Peter and James and John and the other boys is that I am the halakha. I am the way of the law. The halakha was the, the way of living the law in everyday life. Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, This day I call heaven and earth as witness against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life. This is what he says on the shores of the Jordan River to, to Israel. Now choose life. Choose to follow the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, so that you and your children may live. The halakha was a way of living for the glory of God. Was making much of God. And we hear that in the psalm. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Jesus is the word become flesh. He's the halakha, the way of life. Right in the beginning of John's gospel, we see the word became flesh. Jesus is that word that became flesh and dwells among us. But do you know him? Like I said, you could know about him, but not know him. The devils know, the demons know, and they shudder, don't they? They know exactly everything about Jesus. The evil one could get a hundred and a thousand, like a thousand percent on an exam. But he does not know Jesus. No, he's in opposition. That can be you. You do not know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the halakha. Yet, see, Jesus, when he calls a man, when he calls a woman, he, he doesn't simply just call you to Sunday observance. He doesn't simply call you to be busy in the church. He wants your life. He wants your everything. He wants your children. He wants your marriage. He wants your vocation. He wants your vacations. He wants the whole. Did he call the disciples to anything less? You cannot read the scriptures. I know I do not. This is not a popular gospel or your best life now. In fact, it might turn out to be not your best life now because we have a best life later. Infinitely better than anything this world can provide. And Jesus is saying, follow me. If you want to have certainty in life because you're all going to die, there's only one certainty. Jesus says, I am that certainty. If you want to enter into eternal joy, it is only through me. 
my crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, reign, and return. I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I was dead, and now I'm alive forevermore. In him is, he is the yes and amen of every promise of God seen in one person. Or you can have certainty. If you read the Old Testament, it's all pointing to, to Jesus. It's pointing to him. All the promises of God, yes and amen in him. Do you know him? Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we're thankful for your word. We don't want an easy word. We want a hard word because that's when we grow. That's when you build us up. But also that's when you encourage our souls most, most vividly, most powerfully. Oh, Father, bless your people in the comforting way of Christ, which is not easy to follow him to center our whole of our life upon him. Help us, O Holy Spirit, that indwells us because we feel the weakness of our own flesh. We feel our stumbling. We feel our wandering. And we say, help, O Holy Spirit. Help, O Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.